You are forgiven. Amen. I want to open with this. Uh, somebody stirred that up in me, and uh, I'm going to look at Song of Solomon. Are y'all ready to feast today? Man, that's what we do. We come, we come to feast on the Word of God. And do uh, you know that you're beautiful? Amen. You are awesome. You are amazing. And Song of Solomon 4.7 says that, My darling, everything about you is beautiful, and there is nothing at all wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. See, don't look at uh, flaws and, and, and things that, you know, all of us have got things um, in the natural. But see, God doesn't see us in the natural. He sees us in the spirit. And because of Jesus, because of the work was finished on the cross, we were made perfect in our spirit. We are perfect, and that's how God sees you, in the Spirit. You receive that? Yes. Everything about you is beautiful, and there's nothing at all wrong with you. Say, everything about me, about me is, beautiful, is beautiful, and nothing at all, nothing at all is, wrong with me. is wrong with me. Say, there's nothing wrong with me. Sometimes people say, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Just have that mindset because that's how God sees you. I want to talk about your forgiveness today, and I want you to settle this, that you are forgiven, that God doesn't see your sins even when you sin because your sins have been punished on the body of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished, that meant that the Old Testament, that Old Testament law was finished, that Old Testament system of do good, get good. And Jesus finished the Old Covenant and ushered in, brought us into the New Covenant. See, there is a difference. We're not under the Ten Commandments. He finished that system. The Old Testament was a relationship with God based on what you had to do to qualify for God's blessings and favor. That Old Testament system is finished. Jesus brought into us into a new system, and this new covenant is a relationship with God based on what Jesus did on the cross to qualify you. Let's calm down your enthusiasm right now. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But no, we have a relationship that's not with, with God is based on what Jesus did to qualify us. He qualified you on the cross. The Bible says, thanks be to God who qualified us to partake of the inheritance. You're already qualified. You don't have to qualify for God's favor. He's already favored you. So you don't have to pray to please God. We pray because he's already pleased. He's, the Father's well pleased with you. So see, we don't, we don't worship to, to, for, for, or to impress God or to please God. Lord, are you pleased with my worship? 
He's already pleased with you, and we worship because he's already pleased. I want to start by talking about who Jesus is. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was very, he was a misfit. He was very misunderstood. The Romans thought he came to start an insurrection against their government. The, the Greeks, they thought he was a philosopher. The Jews, uh, they thought he was a rebel. They thought he came to destroy their religion and their, their, their traditions. Um, but you know, Jesus never joined any religion. He, he, he never came to establish a religion. When Jesus, he wasn't religious at all. He still is not religious. In fact, he never joined a religion. He never joined any of the religious crowd. That's why his opposition didn't come from common people. The Bible says the common people heard him gladly. His opposition came from religious people, the Pharisees. Jesus was never a Pharisee. He didn't join them. There were the Sadducees. He didn't join them. There were uh, the Herodians. He didn't join them. He wasn't a part of the Sanhedrin council. That, that, that re whole religious order of the day, Jesus, he never joined any of that. In fact, he never submitted to the high priest of that day, Caiaphas. Never submitted to him. So he butted heads with religion. Why? Because he wasn't religious. They looked into the scriptures all the time, but they didn't see the one who the scriptures was talking about, who was Jesus, right there in front of them. Let me tell you something else. Y'all ready for this? He never preached a religious message. And you know, some... 2,000 years later, he's still misunderstood. People uh, misunderstand him today. Hindus think he's one of the six million gods that came down to the earth. And Buddhists think he, he's a, a, a wise man. Muslims think, well, he's a good man, but he's a prophet. See, a lot of religions, they acknowledge his existence, but they misunderstand it. Like Jesus was a misfit back then. Right now, people still don't understand him. Oh, yeah, no, we, we believe in Jesus, many religions say. Uh, but we, we think he's a good man, but we don't think he's God. Well, that's a contradiction because either Jesus is who he says he is or he's a lunatic. And it was total nonsense for him to go to the cross and die a horrible death and be beaten if you can get to God through Buddha or Muhammad. See, how can a good man, if you say he's a good man but not God, how, how can a good man say that I am the way, I'm the truth? Not Paul Pierce, for you basketball fan. Jesus is the truth. Huh? Amen, if he showed up, he said, I'm the truth. I <laughs> mean, I love it. Says, I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
He said, I'm the only way to the Father. He was God manifesting the flesh. And, and if he's not that, if he's not who he says he was, then he's a lunatic. You, 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 there's no in-between. But we know he is who he says he is. And, there, and, and, and there's an empty tomb. Amen. There were witnesses. 500 people saw him at one time. Walking around after he was raised from the dead, praise God. And now he's seated with the Father in heavenly places. But do you know many people live as though Jesus never went to the cross? This is not a one, one Sunday a year thing. This is a 365, 24-7 way of life living in the reality of the resurrection. Knowing what Jesus did on the cross for you. Do you know what happened on that cross? He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your iniquities. He went through that horrible death. Because see, nobody could have done that. Huh? See, uh, Muhammad could have went to the cross. But it just, he just would have been a martyr. He wasn't qualified. It had to be someone, so, so why, why Jesus? Well, when Adam sinned in the garden, everybody inherited his sin nature. And that's why we need to be saved. And God, well, why didn't God just, I mean, just start all over, just throw Adam out and everything? Because he couldn't. He has, he's all powerful. He could have, but he's also perfectly just. So once he gave authority to man, he can't come and grab it back. He has to come into the earth legally. He binds himself by his own system. So he came through the seed of the woman. Brilliant. Joseph wasn't the father. Man, can you imagine the ridicule he went through? Because Jesus was born of a virgin. It was prophesied in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the devil's head. The seed of the woman. See, the seed comes from the man. The woman provides the, the, the egg. So that is the virgin birth. Because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and she became impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And the blood is passed through the male, not the female. So the blood of Jesus was the blood of God. You got that? The seed of the woman was Jesus. The woman provides the egg. Jesus was the seed. God manifested in the flesh. So he was able, God was able to, put, to, to have Jesus come into the earth legally not being corrupted with sin. Sin wasn't in his bloodline because he's the seed of the woman. Because he came from God. The seed came from God, was God inside of the egg, Mary. Thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine what Joseph was going through? They're saying, like, man, what's up? Your fiance, she's pregnant. And it wasn't you. 
So who was it? Who's she sleeping with? You still going to marry her? See, she was ridiculed back then. You can imagine that. She would be ridiculed now. I mean, think about what she went through back then. Okay? And then, uh, but then it was revealed to them that this is, this is Jesus. And guess what? People are like, oh, yeah, right. Like, who, like, who is this? Oh, it was the Holy Spirit who impregnated Mary. Oh, oh yeah, right. Then they probably thought, you know, they're ready to put him in this insane asylum. But Jesus is the Son of God. He went through that horrible death. See, he's the only one that qualified to redeem you. Anybody else going to the cross, Buddha going to the cross, he just would have been a martyr. Um, there's a song like that says, uh, it, should, it should have been me on that cross. That wouldn't have done nothing. wouldn't have done nothing. Now, he took our place. Okay? So, when Jesus took our place, and here's, here's, the, here's the good thing. I, I want you to get a hold of this, and this is why this is a reality for every day of our life. And we have to guard our minds, gird up the, the loins of our minds, and renew our minds, and, and, and take a hold of this truth that we are the righteousness of God in Christ no matter how we look because he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. Not for his. See, he knew no sin and he became sin. He took our sin upon himself that we might become righteous. And I love it, like, how the Old Testament, it, it was our, our tutor or our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. There were types and shadows in the Old Testament. Jesus is in every book of the Bible. See, the scriptures testify of him. So in that Old Testament system of, of sacrifice, the, uh, the priest would receive the... Uh, a lamb from the people when they sin. The, the offerer would bring a, a, a lamb. I use this Bible as, as a lamb. The, the offerer would bring a, a lamb or an animal to the high priest, okay, as a sacrifice for their sins. And so the lamb had to be without spot and without blemish. And the priest's job over here, I'll be the priest over on this side, and he would examine the lamb. Now, the offerer would present the lamb, but the priest would not look at the offerer. He's the one that sinned. But the priest over here didn't look at the offerer. He looked at the lamb. And you know the lamb represents Jesus. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and he was without fault. And that's the reason why you're without fault. See, God doesn't see you in your fault. He looks at the lamb. <laughs> Amen. And, and see, what the priest would do after the priest examined the lamb, and once he determines that the lamb is spotless, he puts a knife in the hand of the offerer. 
and he kills that lamb. Okay? And so that, that represents that the offerer knows that it's his sin that killed that lamb. It wasn't the lamb's fault. The lamb didn't do anything wrong. See, Jesus knew no sin. He became sin for us. Amen? And, and, and see, the, the priest, or excuse me, the offerer, before he killed that lamb, he would lay his hands on the lamb. Y'all with me? The offerer is the one who sinned. He lays his hands on the lamb. Now, what, what happens symbolically is all of the offerer's sins is transferred to that lamb. And then, now, here's what I want you to see. All of the righteousness of that lamb, all of the innocence of that lamb is transferred to the offerer. Amen. And see, and then they, they take the lamb and they sacrifice the lamb on the altar. And see, so the offerer walks away with the righteousness of the lamb. But that whole sacrificial system only covered sins. Right? It only covered their sins. And it was a type of Jesus. See, that was a picture of Jesus. But the good news is, when Jesus was sacrificed for us, it was a once and for all sacrifice. That's, why, that's the reason why they didn't, see, because they had to continue to offer those sacrifices day after day, year after year, because it could only cover sins. What Jesus did on the cross, put away sin once for all time. <laughs> Amen. Let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 10. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 10, for God's will for us was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice. See, you're already holy. Well, I'm trying to be holy. You already are holy. See, you live holy when you know you already are. Not by your sacrifice. <laughs> well, I'm just sacrificing so I can be holy. No, you were made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. You want to know another, another beautiful picture of, uh, of, of the, the sacrifice of Jesus and how God looks at us today? In the Holy of Holies, once a year on the Day of, uh, of Atonement, the high priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies and, and there was there, I meant to get you a, a picture of it, but uh, I forgot. <laughs> but I wanted you to see it, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it in, in here one day. Uh, I'll get a picture for you to see the mercy seat. I will save that for later. But just hold that, because we've got some, some, some scriptures a little bit later uh, about that. For God's will was to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Look at this. Once... For all time. So there's no more sacrifices because Jesus made one sacrifice good for all time. So your sins, he became sin for you. And you, he took your sin. He just didn't die for you. He died as you. And you walk away with his righteousness. 
The moment you make, make Jesus the Lord of your life, everything that Jesus did was applied to you. And you walk away with perfect righteousness. With no fault. See, you don't have to worry about sinning when you see yourself the way God sees you. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. But once you're saved, you're no longer a sinner. You're saved by grace. You shouldn't even be thinking about sin. Because if you see yourself as a sinner, what does a sinner do? He sins. <laughs> but see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. On your worst day, <laughs> on your worst day, you are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. Man, that's good news. That's good news. Right after you cuss that person out, you are still the righteousness of God in Christ. You didn't lose your righteousness. You, 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 didn't, you didn't gain it. You didn't earn it by your obedience. So you can't lose it by your disobedience. What I, what I was about to tell you, what I'm fixing to tell you later, is that Jesus is the mercy seat. And wait till I show you what that is. Jesus, say, Jesus is the mercy seat. I'm just taking on credit till I show you. Man, this is, this is exciting. Look at verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the, the altar Day after day, say day after day. day, offering what kind of sacrifices? The same sacrifices again and again. You know why? Because they couldn't take away sin because they're the blood of animals. It wasn't the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman took care of it all. Amen. It had to be the blood of God. And Jesus' blood was, was, the, was the blood of God. Thank you, Lord. It could never, those sacrifices offered again and again could never take away sin. Next verse. You ready to shout? But our high priest offered himself to God one, as a once-a-year sacrifice. A single. What does single mean? How many? One. One sacrifice. For sins, look at this, good for all time. Man, I love it. <clears throat> it's not this idea today that we have to keep a short accounts with God. Make sure that you confess up and confess your sins and uh, keep a short accounts with God. No. He took care of all your sins forever on the cross, past, present, and future. All the sins that you commit next year, he took care of 2,000 years ago. One sacrifice for sins, good for your entire lifetime. Then he sat down. See, in the Old Testament system, there wasn't, there wasn't a seat. There were all kind of furniture. They had lampstands, you know, they had a table, a showbread, but there wasn't a seat. Well, I thought you said there was a mercy seat. I'll explain that. That wasn't really a seat. It was a lid. They called it a mercy seat, but it was a lid. Okay. But there was no chair, is my point. Why? Because 
He always had work to do. The Old Testament priest always had work to do. He didn't have time to sit down. But Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, good for all time, he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Hallelujah. Because he finished it. I mean, in modern uh, vernacular, you would say he dropped a mic. I mean, if, if, if anybody ever dropped a mic, that's a drop of the mic moment. I mean, he said, it's finished. And then he went to be seated, man. He says, done. We're cleansed forever. So, but you got so many Christians walking around trying to be forgiven when you're already forgiven. It was good for all time. Your sins are gone. You are forever forgiven. Man, if you preach that, man, people will go sinning like crazy, man. They know that all their sins are forgiven, even the sins that they'll do, they'll commit. Who wants to do that? Anybody just want to just go? I haven't met that person yet. They hear this good news and say, oh, you know what, man, I'm, man, wait, wait, I can't wait to get to the club. I can't wait to smoke some weed. I can't, I can't wait to snort some coke. I never heard anybody say that. Man, when you know you're forgiven, when you, man, I tell you what, you, you, want, you want to live a holy life. When you understand it, I mean, your sins have been forgiven, but praise God, it's a, it's a happy day. Colossians uh, 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together. Okay, Jesus was made alive and seated together, and we're made alive together with him. Having, having what? Forgiven you all trespasses. How many? All. All. Ephesians 1, in him, how many of you know you're redeemed? When are you going to be redeemed? 2,000 years ago. You have it, right? <laughs> you have redemption through his blood. Guess what? You have, the redeem you have the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord according to the riches of, of his grace. If you, if you can measure the riches of his grace, it's unlimited. I mean, it's just, it's just your mind can't even comprehend the riches of his grace, right? If you can measure the riches of his grace, you can measure how much your sins have been forgiven. Because we have redemption. We have forgiveness. We're not trying to be forgiven. We are forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> now, I want to close talking about this mercy seat. Say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Hallelujah. Not little by little. Not, okay, he took care of my sins, my past sins, so if I get saved, every sin that I committed before I got saved is how I, how I used to think. Every sin I committed before I got saved, he did, okay? But every sin I, or he forgave, but every 
sin I commit after I get saved, I'm responsible for those. Where is that? Now, I'm responsible for my forgiveness. It's not your confession, like people make it out, like it's your confession that causes you to be forgiven. No, it was his blood. 2,000 years ago, one sacrifice for sins forever. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, okay, after I get saved, now I got to repent. And see, repentance is biblical, but it's misunderstood. Repentance means to change your mind. And once you understand how you, how you have been forgiven, and you thought you had to confess to be forgiven, we just showed you. You have forgiveness right now. So why do we have to confess to be forgiven? Well, you know, 1 John 1.9. Man, we've hobby-horsed that verse. I used to, man, talk about, man, 1 John 1, 9. There's only one verse in the Bible. And it was written to the Gnostics. These were people who, who weren't even saved. They didn't think they had sin. Now, I have a whole teaching on that. But for a Christian, our sins, in fact, he died for the sins of the whole world. Now, you have to accept him to receive that forgiveness. But he died for the sins of the whole world. He died for your sins before you received him. Then when you received him, it was applied to your account. See, Mark says he that believes will, will be saved. So you have to believe. You have to believe the gospel. You have to believe this good news. You have to believe... Your sins are forgiven, but your sins were already forgiven before you believed. Because it happened before you got here. <laughs> Unless you're 2,000 years old. And you can't find another verse that says you have to confess to be forgiven. What Paul harps on and harps on is the fact that you've been forgiven. In fact, you never saw Paul ever asking a person to confess their sins to be forgiven. Not one time. How many of you ever heard of the Apostle Paul? You think if that was important, he would be going around telling me, you better, you better confess. You better, you better confess that. Like when the, the Corinthian church, he gave them more grace than anybody, and they were the, the, the sinningest church. And he gave them more grace. You find more grace there Grace mentioned more there in Corinthians than any other book. In fact, what did Paul do when he told them to, uh, or, or when he found somebody in sin, when they were in sexual sins? He said, man, don't you know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? He pointed them to who they are, their identity and who they are in Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, what do we do when we sin? Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> Y'all remember that from back in the day? Stop, in case of a fire, you stop, drop, and roll. So what do I do, Pastor? What do I do when I'm getting caught up in sin? Here's a crazy idea. 
Stop. <laughs> Stop it. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Tell yourself who you are. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You want to get out of sin? Tell yourself. And the next time you get ready to smoke that weed, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You might drop it. But in case you... <laughs> Once you exhale, say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. After you snort that coke, Say, I'm the righteousness of God. Pastor, that's crazy. Saying that and telling church people to do that. They're already doing it. You understand? They're just hiding. I'm telling you how to get free from that. That stuff that you do in secret. Not condemning you for it. I'm showing you who you are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You keep telling yourself that. And all of a sudden, you find yourself not reaching for the coke. Thank you, Lord. I don't think I used to do coke. I, 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 I don't even think about it. Man, I'm forgiven. I'm going back to doing coke. No. I'm the reason that McDonald's went to those, those um, flat straws. They used to be spoons. We used to go and grab them so we could snort coke. So McDonald's caught on to that. It's a true story. <laughs> but I don't think about going back to that. No, man, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise God. I don't want to go chase women. I used to chase women. I don't chase women. I chase wo a woman. <laughs> and that's my wife. Chase her every once in a while. She's fit, so it takes me a little longer to catch her these days. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. And, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? A propitiation. And watch this. Here's what I was getting to. Now here he's talking to believers and he says, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only. Not for just a believer. Watch this. But also for the whole world. See, this is what the church needs to tell the world. That we need to shout from the housetops the riches of his grace. That he died for you. Not you need to stop all that drinking. And you need to stop all that snorting. And you need to stop all that clubbing. And no. We need to tell them, do you, have you heard the good news today? I, I met this person and this is how she leads. When she, she talks she, she talk to people, she'll say, have you heard the good news today? And they're like, what? People like good news. We got the best news ever told. We got the greatest love stories ever told. Greater than any, any love movie. Man, this is the, great, the greatest love story ever told in the word of God. What Jesus did for us on the cross. He pursued us. 
And I, I, I talk, talk about how Jesus is a misfit and what, how, how all these religions look at him and, and whatever. I'll see all their opinions of him. Well, he's a good man. You know, he's just one of the gods that came to the earth. You know, he's a prophet, but he's just a prophet. Not, not all of that. He, he came to establish a religion. All that's incorrect. He came to be our savior. He came to save us. Thank you, Lord. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We were drowning. See, you don't need somebody, if you're drowning in the water, to throw you to Amazon's number one bestseller on how to swim. You need, to, you need somebody to jump in that water and pull you out. You don't need somebody to tell you, do better, try harder. Get better. See, that's a system of rules. It, it doesn't work. The system of the law trying to do something to get God to respond. That's the Old Testament system. Amen. In the new covenant, Jesus finished it on the cross. He paid up the price. He paid it all. One sacrifice for sin forever. All that's left for us to do is enjoy and say, thank you, Jesus. And just keep looking at him. We're not changed by keeping commandments. We're not under the, uh, the Ten Commandments or any of those 613 laws. And if you try to keep the law, see, the best thing you can do is, 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 is if you think you can try to keep it, go ahead and come back and see me later. Because the purpose of the law is to bring you to the end of yourself. And you can't cherry pick like some people do and some religions do. There's 613 laws. The Bible says if you try to keep the whole law but guilty in one point, you're guilty of, of all of them. You can't cherry pick. You can't pick the one. can't lower the standard. And I'll pick these. And I'll do those. No, you got to do all of them. See, because what God wants to do is bring you to the end of yourself and get you to, to the place where you say, I quit. I can't do this. Now you're ready for Jesus. I fulfilled the law for you. Amen. I walked in the law perfectly for you. I went to the cross. I took all your sins. You're no longer under the law, but under grace. We need to get this message to the world. That your sins are forgiven. That you're free. Don't throw rules. You need to stop. You need to do this, and you need to do that. You need to stop doing this, and you need to live right, and you need to stop doing this, and you need to stop treating your wife like that. You need, no, what we need to do is give them Jesus, and when you see him, you're changed. Tell them Jesus paid it all. Have you heard the good news? He died for your sins. All the stuff you're dealing with, he was wounded for your transgressions. See, do you, on that cross, Jesus was judged in your place. He was judged for all your sins, all your, all your wrongdoing, all your shame, all your bad decisions, all your wrong choices. Are y'all hearing me? Some of you, 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 you are being tormented by the enemy, and he's condemning you because of mistakes you've made. On the cross, Jesus was judged for all your bad mistakes. 
Do you hear me? All of the wrong choices. Don't live in regret. Live forgiven. People may point out your sins, but Jesus would never point out your sins. He himself is a propitiation for our sins. Last scripture. And now that word propitiation, you know what it means? It means mercy seat. It's the same word translated mercy seat in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5. Show that. Show that scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5. And above it, talking about this, uh, the, the Old Testament tabernacle, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Here, here, here's your go. Here is what you had. I wish I had that picture I could show you. He said, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. But I'm going to speak in a little detail about that mercy seat, okay? The cherubim, the, the mercy seat was like a lid that was like over. It was, it was over what contained inside of it. The mercy seat was like a, a lid on this little box that inside of it contained three things. The two tablets con containing the Ten Commandments. The golden pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Okay? It was, in, it was inside. Let me pull this mercy seat up. So the mercy seat was basically a lid. Okay? Now, the Ten Commandments represented Israel's reject, rejection of God's standards. Aaron's rod that budded represented the, uh, the rejection of God's authority figures. The uh, pot of manna represented their rejection of God's provision. So the lid was put on top because God didn't want to see inside to see their sin. Okay, the, the angels, the cherubim, their angels, they were, if, if you see it, they, they had their wings on both sides. It was one like this and one like this, and they looked down at the mercy seat. The high priest would sprinkle blood on top of the mercy seat. The angel's eyes represent God's eyes. And they weren't peeking inside, looking at their sin. They were seeing the blood. Oh, man. Oh, man. And the Bible says, let's, let's go back. Now, see, see the mercy seat. Everybody say mercy seat. Mercy seat. It's the same Greek word as in 1 John 2, 2 where it says, he is the propitiation for our sin. Let's go back to that. 1 John 2, 2, he's the propitiation. The same Greek word translated mercy seat here is translated propitiation there, which means mercy seat. We can say he himself, Jesus, is the mercy seat. So when God sees you today, he sees, he sees Jesus and his blood. He's not looking at your sin. He sees the blood. Thank you, Lord. Now, your job is to see yourself the way God sees you. So now, we can come boldly. See, on the top of the throne is grace. 
God is so much into grace, he calls his throne the throne of grace. Oh, I feel that. And we, that we can obtain grace, mercy, and grace to help in time of need. See, people think that he's looking at their sin. They don't want to come to him. He doesn't see your sin. All your sins for your entire lifetime have been forgiven. And there is therefore now zero condemnation. Nobody can judge you. What can you accomplish in this life when you don't have the condemning voice of the enemy pointing out your faults? And wrongdoings, and look at what you did, and you can't expect God to bless you because look at all those bad choices you made. Look at all those wrong things that you did. You could have did better. You could have tried harder. And you need to see, you need, you need, you need, and now shall not, now shall not. Say, shut up, devil, I'm forgiven. Forgiven. Case closed. If anyone sins today, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He said, no, I declared them righteous 2,000 years ago. Case closed. 